Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions, as well as the national side. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each of the provinces in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So I suppose we'll start with the obvious news is that there's only two of us on the podcast tonight. Uh, Tom is away tending to urgent family business. And by urgent family business, we do mean the West Cork Mafia business. So he is being raided by cab as we speak. I heard he's getting a tattoo. Oh, of what? Yeah, I heard. So there during the week, right, he was telling me that he loves, just for some reason, he was like, I love, you know, Maltesers and uh, fruit pastilles. So he's going to get a tattoo of your face on his back of you eating fruit pastilles and Maltesers. But it's only going to be the size of a beer mat. So it's going to be quite small, but the detail is going to be so intricate. I'm really excited to see it. I was thinking he could do something with, you know, with his balding head. He could do something really cool if he wanted to look like a Malteser. <laughs> Just get a Malteser tattoo on his head. He took, uh, he was sneaking photos of you with the match there last Thursday. And uh, he brought it into a tattoo fella. And he said, can you just, this is your man who I want. And your man was like, fine. And he goes, but I want you to imagine him eating a fruit pastille. So that's what's happening. Like, I don't know why he felt the need to tell me. He shouldn't have told me till tomorrow, but I don't know. To and be it's, honest it's, with you, and it's not in a shoulder blade either. It's right in the middle of his back. And I don't mean between two shoulder blades. I mean, when you think about it, down the lower, like, like a tram like stamp. It's, it's above a tram stamp, but just below where you think a back tattoo would be. It's like, like uh, right in the middle of his back. So it's just a really that, weird that place location. That you can't, yeah, that place that you can't quite reach when you really want to scratch it. Yeah, it's it's the location where you think nobody has ever gotten a tattoo there. Bang, right there. Um, so I'm really looking forward now to seeing what he does with it. Um, will he go color, black and white? Will he just get an outline? I'm really excited. To be honest with you, um, he didn't need to be so secretive about it. I would have gladly eaten the Maltesers or the fruit pastilles in front of him and be <laughs> photographed doing so. I, I don't know. I think it was a birthday present for you. I'm not too sure, um, but we'll see. We'll see. That's real commitment to the friendship of the pod. It is. It is. It's nice like that he cares, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait to see a picture of it now. And yeah. we will, of course, release that on social media. Yeah. He's he's going to go home now and he's going to draw it onto his own back. He was in the mirror and it's going to look shit. But I can't wait. It's, it's the equivalent of Ralph Wiggum type drawing. <laughs> <laughs> So, how was your week this week, Jeff? Oh, well, I mean, mid-November, so terrible. Dark at three o'clock in the day. You're just counting the hours away till daylight comes back. Um, But there's a very special day uh, coming. So, when listeners wake up tomorrow and use this podcast as their alarm clock, it's actually a very special day on, as it's my birthday, believe it or not. Uh-huh. Oh, well, happy birthday, Jeff. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So yeah, it's any yeah, any big so, plans for the birthday? Yeah, I'm going to work. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to work, uh, and I'm going to watch the sun go down at about half past two in the day. So I'm really excited about it all. Um, no, no plans at all, really. No, um, nothing. Watch the Australia game Saturday night, and uh, that's it. Genuinely, nothing. Exciting. Well, that's uh, middle age, isn't it? Though. Like your birthday that post, is people, people are like, happy birthday. You're like, I don't care. Like, I genuinely don't. They're like, are you doing anything nice for it? And I'm like, no. 
<laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> I I think you genuinely hit middle middle age when you can't remember what age you are and you have to do the sums in your own head. Well, I don't know if you remember or not, but we had that issue last week when you asked what age <laughs> I was and I was yeah. not too sure. Um, And I didn't do the math since. So I'm somewhere in the 30s anyway. I think yeah. the lower end of the mid, somewhere around there. I, I'll, I'll tell you how to figure it out tomorrow, whatever the number was last week, and then just add another one to it. Well, I don't know what the number was last week, you see. That's my see. issue. Um. It was very, I remember going to, I was going abroad there uh, not so long ago and I was in the doctor's office and he was like, you know, I was getting the vaccinations, like they were like name, whatever, address. And then it said age. And I <laughs> just like kind of left it blank. <laughs> Hopefully he fills it in <laughs> So he's looking at the form and he was like, oh, just have to fill in your age here. And rather than actually try and figure it out, I was like, oh. I just pretended, do you know, that kind of way. So, um, yeah, so there you go. Didn't mean to give out my date of birth there online. I'm just going to beep that out. Um, but <laughs> we don't edit the pod much, but I am beeping that out. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> this has been the longest, this has been the longest social fishing expedition anyone has ever been on to try and get all your details. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, just going to beep that out now. And uh, if anyone wants my PPS number, it's also. <laughs> Here comes the wallet inspector. <laughs> <laughs> and the back three numbers of my card are. How was your week, man? My week was uh, very good. Um, very busy with work, but um, we did get the chance on Thursday um, to go down to Cork to, to the match. And um, myself and yourself, Tom, got a chance to meet up. The highlight of my week was well certainly my daughter's week she she's still talking about this and laughing about this um we had parked in um what do you call it in the city center in cork and jeff and myself had parked in the same multi-story car park and i had managed to get back to the car first and i sent jeff a text warning him that the the card machine or the machine the payment machine in the multi-story wasn't working was that a joke taking car no, no, it wow. wasn't. It was seriously, it wasn't taking contactless. I wasn't saying I had to pay by cash. And I sent, I was coming out of the, the car park at the time, so I was driving and I was playing the messages on the, um, what do you call it, the Google uh, Android oh, Auto. Yeah. So I had my, my wife and my daughter, my old daughter. In the oh, car and no. <laughs> I was like, so, I was doing it by voice. I was sending, you know, sending the text messages. I was going, you know, like the card machine is only accepting cash, whatever. And Jeff sends me the thing going, sends me the text back. But it's it's I know what what way it was meant and everything like that, and there was no problem with it. But like it was read out in the voice in the Google, as my daughter calls it, the Google lady's voice. You are fucking kidding me. <laughs> I was queuing for genuinely about half an hour to pay for that car pack, and then I got a text from you saying they're not taking card, and I was like, I will walk home from Cork. I am not queuing in this again. Like, but then it did take card, and I was like, that was strange. But then I got the joy of going, I was on the fifth floor of that car park. So I got to the car, got into the car, rang my wife. I was on the phone for about 20 minutes. I had yet to pull out of the space. Like nobody was moving. I was losing my life. I had about a three and a half hour drive ahead of me. And it was about a four and a half hour journey because I was an hour trying to get out of that car park. It was and remains and will forever be the worst car park I have ever parked in in my life. 
I don't know who owns it. I don't know if they listen to us. I don't know who works there or if they listen to us as well. But surely there's a more efficient system. Well, I think we've just lost any sponsorship deal with Q Park, but uh... <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> they owe me. They owe me an hour of my life. Bag. Um, no, but uh, yeah, why don't we start with that then? We'll start with the Munster game on Thursday night. Uh, Munster beats South Africa a 28-14. A win that I don't think too many people saw coming. Certainly I didn't. I put, put my hands up. I listened to our pod on the way down to it because I was driving for so long I'd listened to every other pod under the sun so that was kind of a last resort. And you were very negative heading into that game. Ooh. Very negative. You were saying... What I thought was quite ironic, and I made a mental note to make fun of you about it, that you didn't reckon Munster's halfbacks would be able to control the game. And lo and behold, one of them got player of the match. I thought that was just very funny because I'm, you know, you're ahead on the, the predictions board, but I was delighted with that one. Uh, you went for South Africa as well? Just to be I actually did not. <laughs> I thought we went three with South Africa. No, we did not. Excuse me. No, I did not. I will have to have a listen back to that. Don't, don't. You don't need to. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I didn't. I um, think we need a KPMG or someone in here to audit the uh, the official scores. No need. So we caught up there lovely on that one. So that was nice. Um, No, I 100%. I was like, I think Monster will do it. I didn't know why, but I was like, Monster will do it. And they did. Um. Tom said the same then as well, and you went for South Africa. So I don't know. Oh, what to well, that's that's rather unlucky for me. Yeah, no, I thought, very unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought Monster would get absolutely bullied up front. Um, I thought that um, the South African team, uh, even when it was named, was they had something. I think it was fourteen capped players to start with, or sorry, within the within the twenty three. They had, I think, uh, Johan Goosen at 10, who could potentially be one of their, their better game managers there. I thought they, they should have dominated the scrum, potentially the mall as well, and the physical side. And particularly when the conditions, the sort of the, the wet thing, uh, the wet and uh, windy weather, it should have suited them a bit more. Um, but Munster were just phenomenal. They came out, um, I thought their mall defence, the way they pinned... Um, South Africa early uh, and got at them. It, it took them all away as a weapon. Uh, the line-out was very difficult, I think, overall, even for the for the hookers in terms of the throwing. Um, the scrum, look, Munster, Munster rolled their luck at times. I went back and paid special attention to the scrum. We watched the game a couple of times, just looking specifically at it. Munster seemed to, if they weren't happy with the engagement on the scrum first of all they seem to be dropping early going down to their knees or dropping the scrum hoping for a reset and I think um, the referee called him for it quite a lot and he he, he just wasn't um, I think it was Matthew Carley wasn't it yeah um, it was the ref he he called him early and he gave penalties against him he, he just wasn't having any of the resets to start off with on that and that gave um that gave South Africa a real real sort of a boost early on and gave them a sort of a, an end to the game where they were struggling for a platform. Uh, but then once Munster could actually take the hit and hold it, once they were happy with it, they were actually relatively solid within that. Um, I thought it was only afterwards where um, 
they they had to change they, they when they went down obviously with the yellow card but also then when they they didn't have a, a sort of a what you call it a, a second row option off the bench it was Keen Hurley and like with the, with the greatest of respect he's more of a sort of a back row or at least a, that sort of hybrid uh, second row he wouldn't necessarily have the same sort of bulk as say um, Edwin Adogbo on that so I thought that was the only time it, it sort of they, they seemed to overpower it but even at the end they managed to hold that out um, and win the penalty to, to close out the game I thought um, I thought that was class. Sorry, we actually made a mistake. Carl Dixon was refing, but um, Carl Dixon, sorry, yeah, I got that wrong as well. But um, I actually loved the way that Munster won that last scrum. I th- I thought it was very fitting because kind of as the game was going on, twenty eight fourteen, it was kind of like, how do you say? You you had a feeling like that South Africa might get a sniff of another score, and then you're like, oh Jesus, this could slip away. Maybe you know, like it's. They could get in for another seven. It's a one-score game. There was time left, kind of a thing, and you were kind of hoping just Munster could get through it. There was a there was a very strong purple patch for South Africa in that game, but you know they they won that last scrum, and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know. Either the place lifted, like I don't know if it came across well on TV or whatever, but like when they finally won that when they won that scrum penalty there at the end, a lot of relief, I suppose, because you know they exited really well. I think did they win a pen? Am I right in saying they won a penalty after? The f- ensuing line out maybe the following line out I can't remember yeah. off the mall maybe but it was kind of like two massive positives do you know that kind of way from kind of from battling away battling away to suddenly scrum penalty kick for touch line out penalty off the mall or whatever it was I can't really remember I was miles away which is like me um, but like it was, it was a real kind of we have it now do you know that kind of way like we're done it's a win historic bang that's kind of what sealed it Um, and I tell you something I understand, and there's been a lot of talk about games going down there again. I would have absolutely no issue with a big European night going down to Parky Cueve. Now, I understand there's issues around maybe licensing or sponsorship, you know, like the, the, the billboards around the place and the, the signs around the place and, you know, all that kind of jazz. I get it's not as straightforward as like, oh, we're not playing in Tormund, we're going to play in Parky Cueve instead. I understand there's more to it. Um, but like if it was organized and if it was allowed and had to go ahead for a big European night down in Parky Cueve, I would not be against it in the least. Um, it's a lot more travel for me, like, and I'm still like, you know what? Yeah, 100 percent is worth it because it was uh, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. Now, hopefully if it does happen again, it's not. Let's say I don't want to say a letdown because like playing against South Africa in Parky Cueve, it's a big historic night. Like, uh, it's a lot different to, you know, and a European maybe group game or something like that. It's 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 a very different occasion. So hopefully, like if it did happen in the future, you'd still have thousands. You know, not ten to twenty thousand people. Hopefully, you'd still have thirty odd plus. You know. Um, I don't foresee a European game being quite the sellout that that South Africa game was. Like I've never seen demand for tickets like that for a game. Um, but you know, it it could happen. I I think I think you're right. Look, there there's there's a lot of sort of um financial decision making behind this. Number one, as you said, like there's the sponsors that have both on the GAA side and on the Thomond side. Who have agreed to put sponsorship in for specific, and the big the big sort of number of games that you're putting it in there for are the big games like the European games. 
So they, they'll want a return on that. So if you move a game out, you lose potentially money off each of those the whole way through. Um, and then on the flip side, you also have the stuff that's already in there in terms of um, home and power, or sorry, in, in terms of the GAA, who will people who will have paid for their their branding their their uh, stuff into um, into the various uh, stadiums or into Parky Cube in this case. You also have the case of it's around things like um, season tickets, and that's what that's one of the biggest problems. People will have bought season tickets for Thoman, and you will also have corporate boxes and things like that that are bought for Limerick. Switching those is potentially losing that business for that one game, which will be their big game of of the season. It also means that you're you're potentially having to split it and do it before you sell your season tickets. So that if you're saying, oh, you're buying Heineken Cup tickets, you're buying one, you know, these for Thoman Park and potentially this one without knowing who your opponent is. And then if you don't get the draw, it's very hard to sell it. And for those reasons, I think things are very difficult to change what I would call regular season games, whether it be the URC or the um, Heineken Cup pool games. What I do think is from a financial point of view, this gives Munster a huge option if it's financially viable to move a knockout game in the Heineken Cup or in the Champions Cup to Cork, keep it within the province, know that you can sell more than 26, 27,000 and still get a return on it. But it has to be financially viable. And what you're looking at there is, is the rental difference between Parky Cleave and the Aviva? Is there a difference there that they can, that can make it worthwhile? And are, do you think you get a bigger crowd going to it? And from that point of view, I think it's a success. I, I think you can't, you can't look at the last game and say it wasn't a success. You absolutely cannot. Like There was huge buy-in from fans. The place was full. The place was rocking. There was a win. Everybody was talking about it. Like, everybody was talking about it. Like, anybody who was there was talking about it. People who only saw it on TV, you know, like, even when I was talking to people in work, they were like, geez, were you down in Cork there last Thursday? I was, geez, it looked unreal, blah, blah, blah. Like, in terms of a promotional event, like, it couldn't have gone better. Genuinely, just flat out couldn't have gone better. I, I look, I agree on that. And I think what makes it special is that it's almost a once off. It's not something that happens regularly. I think if you're looking to take like a one game per season and put it in there or move it around to other GA stadiums or wherever within the province, that's not going to work because it doesn't become that unique event again. And I think it's harder to get the, the sort of the bigger event crowd into it rather than just your hardcore supporters. So I think the more you keep it for the biggest games, like a knockout Champions Cup game or something like that, the more chance you have of it becoming a sort of a a bigger crowd or a sellout, and you can go from there. But like going back to the to the game itself, I mean, I thought Ben Heaney was absolutely outstanding. I haven't seen him play that well since I think was it the Scarlets game at the towards the start of last season, where he he absolutely bossed it in terms of both his his passing and his kicking. Um, I thought like his his place kicking was unbelievable in that like on I'm not sure how it came across on the television, but the wind and rain that was there was just unreal. Swear it was, it was phenomenally bad. Like I was watching um some of the South African players. I was down close to the pitch side and I was watching some of the South African players, it was Goosen and someone else, um practice their kicking from touchline to touchline across the pitch the ball was moving like 10 15 meters 
in just in the wind. And like both from both ways, it wasn't like they were putting a spin or a curve on the ball. It was literally just moving at 10 or 15 meters without them having to do anything. They were kicking into the wind to let it drift back. Um, what, what's and, mad is, what, do you remember last week we were talking about the South Africa game and we were saying if they had a kicker, like if Pollard started, it would have been a different game. Like, Yeah. Like the like there's six conversions in that Munster South Africa A game. At least three of them were touchlines. And every last one of them were just nailed. Like <laughs> I remember that when uh, South Africa nailed their touchline one, I was like, "Thank God he wasn't kicking the last day for South Africa because it would have been a very different game." And that's it. I like. I think um, we've talked a lot about the South African teams and how they they have problems at halfback. And I think that was shown on the night. But Goose and I think is potentially one of their best at doing that in terms of being both a, a place kicker and running the game. Well, I thought South Africa were extremely limited in what they tried to do. They they literally tried to use one-out runners, keep it simple within the weather. Some of it, that's understandable, but they never went beyond that. Everything, it, it seemed to get into a battle, and we, we talked about it, I think, a week or two ago, and I can't remember exactly what it was. It, it was just like, or maybe it was the South Africa game. I think it was, as Tom mentioned, it was a case of like, Literally, it just became a battle of wills. Do you want to get back up off the ground into the defensive line and make the next tackle? Because there is nothing going to change in terms of the picture in front of you. It's literally just a physical, mental battle of going, can you get up quick enough? Can you and do you want to make that tackle? And I thought Munster, Munster's defence was outstanding. Um, they literally, there was no there was no question marks uh, or there was no question marks around the defence. The the line speed that they got up, the pressure that they put on, um, they challenged South Africa if they were good enough to get round them and get to the get to the outside edge, and South Africa couldn't match that. Um, I thought Anton Frisch was unbelievable, both brilliant in attack game. and defence. Yeah, brilliant game. Yeah, it's just a pity now he's um, he's injured at the moment again. I think he's off for a scan on a thigh, um, so hopefully that doesn't keep him out for too long because. He looks like he could be that missing link that Monster need with that sort of creativity in the back line um, himself. And um, I thought Mike Haley had a huge game. Yeah, he was very good, wasn't he? And especially in those conditions, like you're probably, if you're a 15 going out into that, you're like, I'm going to get the ball kicked to me a lot here. And it's going to be pretty shit, let's be honest. Like, you know, but like, I had a great game. I thought Paddy Patterson as well. Like, I know he got fair to match and everything, but like even watching it live, like really good breaks, really good snipes. He was really physical too. Um, he just ran it really, really well. Um, I was watching him pass the ball with Cronin before the game, and like bullets, just absolute bullets. Um, so I, I was really happy for him. Really pleased he had a huge game because, like, again, like he's a youngish guy. Do you know what I mean? And he's moved from Leinster. His chances from Munster. He's getting game a bit of game time. Don't get me wrong, but like, I mean. When they're talking about who should start nine for Munster, it's always an argument between two players. But leaving Porky Cueve the last day, there was fellas standing around. He was lightning. He was very good. Geez, get him more game time. Uh, sped the game up really well. Couldn't live with him. Like people were full of compliments about him. Um, so I, it was it was really good to see him get a game like that under his belt as well. And I mean, when you think about it, the way Tom was talking there last week about Ian Nagel being man of the match against Australia. You're a young guy now who is trying to, you know, force your way into a starting team and everything like that. The two nines are away with Ireland. Uh, the other two Munster nines, I should say, are away with Ireland. 
they come back to Munster and he turns around and he can say like, you know, heading into the next game, well, like, hang on, you might have been playing with Ireland, but I got man in a match there against South Africa. So like, if you think you're going to walk back into this team, like up it, do you know what I mean? Like it's you, you up that game because like that's huge. That's that's hugely beneficial to Munster to have that competition now between those three nines. And like that internal competition is what drives teams. Like people, don't get me wrong, winning's important and everything like that. But like if you have like that three players who are all champing at the bit now to start that next game for Munster to say like, listen, like Murray, you've been there, you've done that. Like you've worn t-shirts, you're hugely experienced and everything like Casey, you're the next guy coming up, blah, blah, blah. But hang on there a second now, like man of the match there against South Africa. Let, let's slow it down a small bit because I'm certainly in the equation as well. So I think it's I think it was great for him. Like and like you said, Healy having a big game. I know Carberry's after getting hurt now, but like Jack Crowley, lots of hype around him. I'm sure we'll probably chat about him in a little while. But Ben Healy had a huge night too. So suddenly he's in the mix again. So that internal competition, I think, yeah, it's it's it goes without saying. It's only hugely beneficial to Munster. Like. It is. I think it showed what Munster want for their attacking play from their halfbacks. They need that tempo, that ability, to, sort of the threat of the snipe around the edge. They need this, the sort of the, the tempo and the, the speed on the pass from the base of the rook. And they have to have a 10 who is carrying the ball to the line, showing a threat and has the ability to pass off that. You know, there's, there's no point sitting 10, 15 yards behind the line and just shipping the ball on. That's not gonna. That's not gonna do anything. It's just gonna let the defenders drift across. And and he, as I said, I had seen improvements from from him from early season, where I thought in the preseason games he was quite poor, um, and he hadn't got hold of the system. We'd seen improvements since, and I thought that was definitely his best game. It's the best I've seen him play in the last, I think, twelve months, um, nearly on that. And then like going into the pack, John Hodnett. My God, he he his work at the breakdown was just unbelievable. He he was absolutely leathering into guys twice his size and just cleaning two and three of them out at breakdowns in, in goals. He was he was instrumental in terms of the some of the tries and and making sure that there was clean quick ball there. And like again, Edwin the dog ball. Jesus, I saw him up close. You know, in in terms of the warm up and stuff like that, he. I, I can't honestly describe how wide that man is. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, I was looking at him warming up and I looked at the straps on his legs, you know, for the blocks. Yeah. And I was like, those blocks, like those strapping on his legs are at least two foot wide. Like <laughs> they're massive. Like he is enormous. And I remember like I've the only kind of way I felt the same or the only kind of time I felt the same way was the time I met was it Billy, Billy Vonapola in real life? And I was looking at him and I was like, like his back blocked the sun, do you know that kind of way? And then I was kind of like, I, he always stuck out in my head as like professional rugby players, they're actually enormous. I've yet to meet Skeleton in real life. I imagine I would fit in his pocket, but um, seeing a dog bow in real life, I was like, like he looks big on telly. In real life, he is, oh. gin, he's ginormous. Like, he's 19. He's 19. No, not that I'm, not that I'm, yeah, not that I'm saying he's going to be a late bloomer or anything, but hopefully there is more growth left in him. <laughs> no, he was he was he was good too. Yeah, no, it was a really good game. Um, you know, it was I, again as an occasion, I, I, I think it was perfect. There's literally no real 
there's there's no complaint anybody could have about no, it. Like. I don't think so. There there are a couple of things I want to say as well. I thought um Kieran McDonald for his first game in was absolutely unreal. He was actually um, brilliant too. I thought the Salanoa to Salanoa and Witchery starting props were absolutely superb as well. And their their ability looks in terms of the scrum when they when they actually got set and was really good. But it was also their carrying and passing in the line and pullback passes were just outstanding in that. Um you it was, know, it, it, was it, it was it was a, and like it's actually funny, Kieran McDonald there, yeah. Like what a first game. Unbelievable. What a like, first game to play. Like he was immense. Like absolutely like he just slotted in like like he'd been there all along. Immense. Even getting him, even getting involved in the bit of schmazzle towards the yeah. end. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all of our kikuis. Go on. I <laughs> was it. It was it was um that that was really rounding it out. And uh, then to top it all off, we got our photograph taken together, the three of us. A lot of love. A lot of love. A lot of love. A lot of love. For what, about Tom, what about Tom thinking he's the tallest? There's no way he's the tallest. There's no way. There's no, no way. way. He was standing on a bench, or he's standing on. A, I must have been in a hole or something like that because he ain't the tallest. No he way. must have been up on his tippy toes. Yeah, I'd say he did. Like, <laughs> do you know that kind of? I'd say he, that's a. I think you saw. He, he strikes it. me as that sort of a guy. Yeah, yeah. stuffed his shoes, newspaper, yeah. <laughs> false heels on. <laughs> <laughs> Will we move on to Fiji? We'll move on to Fiji against Ireland um, on Saturday in the Aviva. Ireland won thirty-five seventeen. About in. About in line with the, the bookies' expectations, I think, um, of the spread on the score. But I understand none of that. <laughs> it's the bookies thought, well, maybe just slightly under what the bookies thought Ireland would win by um, in terms of points. Um, but a very disappointing game for Ireland overall. Um, in despite the win, like it was, it was a comfortable win. The red card. You know, made it easy, followed by the, the yellow card pretty much straight afterwards. You know, took the contest away from it. It's, there's not too many players that will come out of that with many positives on it. And I think that was something Farrell was very quick to to mention post-match. Yeah, it was, um, I, I like, I know they won the game and you can only play what's in front of you and everything like that. But I just felt like many others I suppose it was kind of like an uninspiring win like you have the red card you have the yellow they're down to 13 for 10 minutes nothing really happens you're kind of thinking to yourself I know there's changes made to the team don't get me wrong I know Henshaw was gone after four odd minutes etc but you're kind of thinking to yourself like you have to put these teams to the sword and it was, it was actually a really good question somebody asked me during the week. They were like, they asked why everybody is so pessimistic about the Irish game. I don't think people are pessimistic about it. Like, I don't think anybody's turning around and saying, Jesus, Ireland, we're, we're shit, or, you know, Jesus, you know, where's that team that beat us or beat South Africa there the week before? I don't think it's anything like that. And I think pessimistic was probably the wrong word. I just think they were slightly uninspired by it. Like, I know watching it myself, I was kind of like, I know Ireland are going to win here. But there's nothing really happening that makes me want to see what's about to happen, if that makes sense. Like, there's no spark or anything like that. And Italy were beating Australia at the same time. And, like, I love the Italians, but, like, 
a little bit of me was like, should I just swap over and watch that game? Because it sounds a lot more exciting, even though it was my team playing in that in against Fiji. Like, so I, I, I don't think anybody's pessimistic. I think everybody kind of knew what the score would be, but just hoped the performance would be better in terms of the execution of maybe the execution of the framework or even just seeing Ireland. And nobody likes seeing a team get railroaded or anything like that. And I know that like, but I, I suppose I just expected Ireland to put Fiji to the sword a lot more than they did. And it also brought up another really good conversation about depth. And people were saying it's a game to see the depth and everything like that, uh, that Ireland have. And, and they're right. Like, don't get me wrong, but it adds the question of when you're looking at depth, like any player Ireland bring in is obviously a good player. Like you don't play international rugby without being a good player. It's that simple. But it's about how the, that depth can install the framework and can they install it to the same efficiency as, let's say, the starting 15, like the starting 15, if that makes sense. And like I was actually driving today thinking about it and it made me think of Rory Scan. So, like, I mean, you look at 12 there for Ireland. Henshaw um, was out injured after a couple of minutes. But even if you go to the week previous against South Africa, you know, Henshaw was missing for that. Um, Aki was suspended and it brought in McCluskey. And, like, I was very excited about McCluskey. I feel he did well against Fiji. I think he's probably one of the few who, you know, kind of put their hands up a small bit. But it made me think of Rory Scanlon. Like, I really like Rory Scanlon as a player. And... I really rate him as a player. He's a left-footed kicking option at 12. He's the youngest player to ever play 100 caps from Munster. Like, anybody who thinks Rory Scanlon's a poor player, like, you you need to be more, like, direct, I suppose, with your criticism because you don't get 100 caps from Munster being the youngest person to do so by being a poor player. It just doesn't happen. But if you bring Rory Scanlon in to that Irish team, will he fulfill the same role as Aki or Henshaw or what McCluskey was trying to do, probably not. So like, I mean, while he would be maybe, I don't know where in the depth chart, let's say he's obviously behind those three in Farrell's eyes, obviously, as, as it was going. But would if he was selected, would he, would he fill the same role in terms of fulfilling that framework? So like that game for Fiji, while it was great to see the depth and everything like that come through and to give players a chance and stuff, I don't think it's about just saying, can they play at international rugby? Because they obviously can't. And if you look at there's players not playing for Ireland in Ireland who would start easily for another team internationally. But it's about can they fulfill the framework that Cat and Farrell and O'Connell and everything want fulfilled. So I, I felt it was a really, I suppose, interesting game in terms of watching like not just the players themselves and seeing if they're international level because they are, but seeing framework wise and execution wise and structure wise can they fulfill it as be- as like as good as the guys who may be ahead of them in the pecking order? If that if that makes sense, or I've just gone on a rant for about five minutes. About, <laughs> about no, I, I I I think I think you're right, but I'm I may be thinking about it in in a in a flip way, in the flip side to that. So there's been a number of changes. They've tried to go like if you take half back, you've got Gibson Park and Carberry that started there. You you had um in the front row you you swapped Herring and Sheen, and like you're not saying the Carberry and Sheen uh, or Carberry and Furlong or sorry Carberry and Herring are not the same as Sheen and Sexton right they're not the same players, but 
you do, so you can't expect them to play the exact same sort of game. And I wonder if some of Farrell's criticism or sort of disappointment in that Fiji performance is not aimed at the guys who have come in, but is aimed at the guys who have the senior guys within that team who didn't step up. So you have a you have a lot of experienced players within that team, and you're sort of saying to yourself, okay, well, where where are these guys? Where are the leaders? When Sexton plays at 10, and as we constantly say on this podcast, if Ireland want to win a game and have to win a game, Sexton plays. Now, why is that? Number one, he's he's the best 10 that we have. That's straightforward. But number two is probably he is one of the most driven players within the squad. He demands the performance from those around him. So Sexton drives a performance level of those around him when he's not there who does that now i know you have a new captain in Tyke furlong and elsewhere but part of i think so much of the focus in the press has been on oh these young guys are you know these guys who are considered sort of fringe players are not performing but the question is are the other players around them in the more experienced roles actually stepping up and improving their performance to take away from that, to substitute in for what's missing from Sexton and others in terms of leadership and and else on um, um, sort of everything else around the squad um, on game day, and I think maybe that's still up for debate. It's certainly up for debate because we're now heading into an Australia game where today Sexton was like, "I'm ready to go." And suddenly, because he said, I'm ready to go, a conversation has sparked about should he or should he not start against Australia? Now, in my eyes, if I'm Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton says, I'm ready to go and my job is to win international games, I'm starting him regardless of what anyone in the public has to say about it. I don't care. And if afterwards, you know, like if afterwards someone stops me in the street and says, you know, geez, Jeff, you know, you could have started someone else to see what they're made of, blah, blah, blah. I'd turn around and I'd say, my livelihood depends on winning games. It's as simple as that. And Johnny's the man who's going to do it. Therefore, I pick him. And it, like, uh, like, I want to see the likes of Jack Crowley or Kieran Frawley, I know he's injured, or whatever, playing in these big games and getting a shot just as much as the next person. But at the same time, if you don't understand that it's, Farrell's job to win games and that's it because international rugby pays the bills like in Ireland so like it's his job to win games and if Johnny Sexton's the man to do it well then I'm picking him it's as simple as that like if if the man in the moon came down and was the best rugby player in the world and I don't know had an Irish mother (laughs) I don't know like I'm picking him too it's it's that simple well like that's it look Far as you said, I, I think was this eighty percent of the IRFU's income comes from the, men's, from the men's national team. Yeah. That's it. Farrell is judged on his performances, on his wins. If someone comes down and says, "Oh, you're not doing this, you're not doing whatever," all Farrell has to do is point at the scoreboard, look at his results, and they're there for everyone to see. Yeah. Right? He he has bought himself some wiggle room in terms of going to the, on in terms of the summer tour. 
and yeah. the sort of the benefit from that that if he wanted to make changes I think he has a bit of goodwill there in terms of the Australia game and trying something if he wanted I don't think he's going to I think he's going to start with Sexton and if things are going well someone like Crowley should get 30, 30 plus minutes on Saturday night that's the way I, I, I would see him going but he's not going to change it he particularly when you consider that I think it might have been different if he had Henshaw maybe um, yeah. st- still fit where he could maybe have a, a very established settled um center pairing with that and again that's not taken away from McCluskey who has been excellent this this autumn series but if you had say if you had um Henshaw and Ringrose uh, with Gibson Park inside you could potentially put uh, Crow- um, Crowley in there and p- play it in a very settled thing where you haven't had Aki is available, but he hasn't played rugby in what is it six seven weeks? Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, you have McCluskey is there. You have Ringrose outside. I I just think he he stick with the established. They'll go very strong, close to a first team against that. As you say, in terms of the depth, the strength and depth. It's maybe not quite as deep as Ireland would have thought. If you look back at the summer tour, the games against the Maori didn't go particularly well. The games against New Zealand, again, when they came over into the RDS there a couple of weeks ago, did not go well. When they switched things up against Fiji, again, not great at times. So I think Ireland are still reliant on the same people for to provide that. And it's, it's probably, they have a strong 23, maybe 25 that they're looking at but again beyond that it is not great and there are key players like Sexton and others like Tyke Furlong um, Andrew Porter even you know that the, uh, Ireland are absolutely and totally reliant on that if they're gone you really do wonder whether the game plan and the, the tactics can survive against a half decent team I think one guy who really took his chance well was uh, Nick Timoney like I know he got two tries but I don't know that tackle at the start of the game, like I think a little, it was one or two tackles that were. Little, it was after the whistle. If you remember, a little bit of me yeah. is like, "That's a yellow kind of a thing." But um, aside from that, if we kind of park that, even just around the pitch, I felt he was huge. Like um, well, he always is. In fairness to him, like um, but I I feel he took his chance really well. Um, I know we mentioned Crowley already, but I felt when he came on, loads of good touches. I think he had one kind of miscued kick. But aside from that, like a lot of good touches, I felt he did really well. Um, so like it's it's not all doom and gloom, but certainly I, I'm not pessimistic. I just felt it was a bit of an uninspiring win. Um, but that's all. Yeah, I think the the one the one guy that I thought um did well on on what I had seen with Jimmy O'Brien at fullback. Yeah, I think he, he did well. Yeah, he's sort of now he he's he's the sort of guy that is. You're now they're going, okay, he's potentially one of the guys that you would want in the back line as we see, like he's covered a multitude of positions, whether it be from 13 wing fullback. He could he could easily fill in what I'd almost call the Keith Earls type role that Earl served on the summer tour um, and could, could fill that in going forward. And if he can keep that going, uh, that'll be something that uh, Andy Farrell would be, would be looking for. Um, but... That that will give them something hope. In terms of the Australia game, how do you think they'll they'll line out? Do you think they'll they'll go full strength? And how oh, do you, what yeah. do you think the result? I think I think they will. Yeah, I think we'll see Porter, Sheehan, Furlong, 
um, probably burn, I think. And there's a yeah. method to my madness there as well. Uh, Ryan, uh, I think we'll probably see Doris in the back three, Josh van der Fleer, obviously, and Peter O'Mahony. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see Gibson Park again with um, Sexton, obviously. I think McCluskey will stay in. And yeah, this, McCluskey this, and Ringrose. Yeah. This is the thing about McCluskey and Aki is I think McCluskey will stay in. But if Farrell brought Aki in, nobody can say anything. You're like, I mean, you've like you've won what thirteen of the last fifteen games. Like you clearly know what you're doing. Aki was Aki's a line. Do you know what I mean? He's not exactly. He's not bringing me in. Do you know that kind of way? So you can't really say anything if he does. I don't think he will. But again, I've been wrong in the past. Ring Rose 13 and a back three of Keenan, Hansen, and I'd like to see Balakun go again. Yeah. I I'd like so. to see him kept on, to be honest with you. Um, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Jimmy O'Brien got in there. I don't know, maybe. Um, but no, I, I think they'll go very strong, to be honest, because I mean, they beat South Africa, they beat Fiji, beat Australia, three out of three. Like, I mean, that's what you want. Do you know what I mean? And you have Munster winning down in Porky Cueve as well. Um, you've Leinster versus Chile. So, you know, we'll probably mention that as well in a little while. But, you know, if Leinster win that, Ireland get the three games. Like, that's a very successful autumn series. That's a lot of players getting played and a lot of players getting wins. So, I mean... Ireland have won the last four out of five games against Australia, and I know a lot of, you know, a lot of the teams have changed and stuff. But there's, there's, there's form. Uh, Ireland have won eleven of their last home matches as well. They've conceded ten points or fewer in six of their last nine home games, and that includes people or that includes teams like Wales, Argentina, uh, Scotland. If you look at Australia's form, like it, it ain't great. Uh, they've won four of their last 15 games. Uh, they've lost to Italy, France. Now, I know that was a point apiece, don't get me wrong, but you still lost. And even if a bit of more context, that Italy game, you're missing Garbisi before the game and they missed 14 points from the tee. So, I mean, it could have been a lot more. Um, they, they they went toe-to-toe with France, don't get me wrong. France still won. Um, so, like, you know, four of the last 15 games, not great. Um, they've only won three of the last 14 games away in Europe so it's going to be interesting but the reason I said anyway that I think that Burn will start that game it's not just because it's Tyg Burn to be honest with you and that's enough for a reason in itself Burn had 10 line-out takes there against Fiji the last day and Ireland have the best line-out of the last two games and who has the worst? Australia 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 have the worst so I mean, Ireland have a ninety-four percent. So I've done lots of homework. Ireland have done. <laughs> I was like, do you know what? <laughs> He's yeah, putting not, me to shame, people. He's putting me to shame. Well. I'm not done this in a while. I also, folks, just so everybody knows, I also made the script for tonight. I text on five words. I said Munster, South Africa, Ireland, Fiji, Australia. So you know, we can all write scripts. You know, we can all write scripts. But anyway, um, he had 10 takes in the line-out there against Fiji. Ireland have a 94% success rate in the line-out in the last two games. Australia have the worst of any team who's played in the Autumn Series at 84%. So, I mean, if he was that good an option against Fiji, 
Ireland or Australia have the poorest line out of any team that's played in the Autumn Nations. It doesn't really take a genius to say that, like, if he's operating that well in the line out, you'd keep him again, you know, especially because over 50% of Ireland's tries come from the line out. Yeah. Another little fact for people, I am full of them. Um, so I think that as well. Now, on the second hand, I think Australia are trying to play a game that will come to fruition very soon. They kick a lot and they carry a lot. They have the second most kicks of anyone in the Autumn Nations game so far. They've kicked 71 times, only Scotland have more with 72. But the thing is, Ireland have the most line breaks and they have the most defenders beaten. So if Australia are going to kick that often to Ireland, it's going to, they'd better make sure that their defensive line is well clued in on the chase and also in the following phases afterwards because Ireland will beat defenders. It's as simple as that. So I think it's going to be a really interesting game. If Australia keep it tight, their carrying game's really good. They have the most metres made of any team in their carry, over 1,200 metres made through carrying in their last two games, which is a lot. Um, but... I think it's if they're just kicking the ball to Ireland that much and you have a back three, the likes of Hansen, Keenan, plus one, you know, Balakun or whoever it may be, like that's a very good back three. Um, so I think it's going to, and especially if you're looking a phase or two later after that transition and you're getting the ball to 12, to McCluskey, who kind of has his own gravitational pull when it comes to defenders, and you have Ringrose playing the way he's playing as well outside him, you have Sexton pulling strings, like, I think there's going to be a couple of gaps that are going to be uh, wide open for Ireland to to kind of um, to uh, I can't think of the word exploit to, to exploit. That's the one. Yeah, um, I was thinking expand, and I was like, that's definitely definitely the wrong word. Um, there's going to be gaps there uh, for Ireland to exploit, and I suppose no better backline to exploit them at the same time. Yeah, I I think um, it's the end of the season for Australia they they generally are more vulnerable at this time of year after their their season their Super Rugby end of year tour Ireland should be in a better place physically um, I think than, than the Aussies are I think the home advantage as well and I, I think just generally Ireland are a, a better team I think Australia are still trying to find their spot where they where they're where they're going to in terms of the World Cup and their development of, of this squad and team and they're not quite there. Maybe, maybe this is the start. Maybe this could be the start of it if they put together a performance on Saturday night but based on what they've shown so far and the Italy results sort of sort of says they're they're not there yet. Um, I think this should be relatively handy for Ireland. I can see a 10 point plus win for them if they go strong into this. I would hope that they're is the ability for Ireland to give meaningful minutes to some players. I think Crowley um, at 10 would be one I would love to see get some meaningful minutes, get a half an hour against Australia, and let's see what he can really do. I think he has a real chance of, with the way injuries and things have gone at the out-half, um, in the out-half position in the national uh, setup he has a real chance to take over that number two spot. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at a Carberry just doesn't have the durability um, there. 
overall he, he hasn't played that many minutes he hasn't got an attacking flow since his long-term injuries and um, he hasn't seen we haven't seen that come back um Ross Byrne has been tried on a number of occasions and just hasn't been able to find that spark in Farrell's system he works quite well in terms of what Leinster need out of him but under Farrell it is a different attacking system that requires more of a threat carrying the ball to the line and that's just not there for him Harry Byrne has a similar sort of injury profile and even though he's so young he has a very similar injury profile for the, to the likes of um, Carberry in this you have to question his durability and he has to get minutes under his belt at Leinster to prove that he's able to sort of step up to that level and and be and be sort of fit enough to play games and, and be judged at that. So I think Crowley could really become from the tour to South Africa, could really sort of, you know, if they continue to use that as the stepping stone, because this is what Farrell and the, and the guys have said is, you know, we're taking these guys on a development tour, we're going to use them, that's how they're going to filter into the squad. If you suddenly pick Ross Byrne ahead of him, because he's the, you know, if you want to put it in sort of air quotes, safe option, you know, then you've just absolutely shat on the entire process that you've done for the that development tour to South Africa. So for me, that's why you go with Crowley as the backup. Um, and again, I think there's other things that they, you know, they can do. Are they going to pick Murray um, as the backup nine? Is it Casey? How, how do you work that sort of dynamic? Where are they going with it? What do they want? Um, and you know maybe as you said someone like Jimmy O'Brien you know does 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 he go again do you go with a sort of a the potential off the bench or do you go with the proven options and I think that's where it is because I I, I agree with you in terms of it will be very much the standard sort of 14 15 names as expected yeah I, I think I think anybody at all tomorrow could before the team announcement could sit down with a pen and paper and pick at least 13 names to be honest with you, yeah. I, th- I think that's the way it's going to go. And um, something you mentioned there, I think, is going to be very interesting too. Is you said it's Australia's, you know, it's the end of their season kind of thing. I think it's also interesting if you look at the way that last, or well, the last two games or the that this block of three games is panning out. Like Australia came up north. They're the eighth best team in the world. They've come up north. They're playing France, Italy and Ireland. And they've probably just said to themselves, we're going to target two of those games. Do you know? They lost to France by a point. They said, listen, we've gone toe-to-toe, one of the best improved teams in the world. You know, let's go out against Italy, see if we can get a win. Well, probably aim, like they definitely aim for a win, don't get me wrong, like, and then we'll go all out against Ireland. And then suddenly they lose that Italy game. That's just a little pinprick into a balloon. Do you know that kind of way? It just, or maybe into a tyre, you know, it just slowly releases air. You're thinking, Jesus, we, you know, we targeted this one. And that's gone. So now we're zero for two. You have that two game loss while on tour. You're away from home. End of a season. You're now heading to Ireland. And you're thinking to yourself, OK, last game of the season, maybe not really enjoying the tour. We're losing rugby, blah, blah, blah. Whereas Ireland, are, well, we've just beaten South Africa. We've rolled out a new team against Fiji. Still won that game, you know, regardless, whatever. And like you said earlier about, you know, Farrell maybe talking about the leaders in that team who didn't step up. Now they have another opportunity to fix that. You have guys coming back in who will demand perfection, like not even kind of desire it, like they will demand it and a chance to go three for three. Whereas Australia probably, you know, 
thinking to themselves like and they're only human at the end of the day and I know they're professional players but like you're away from home you're away from family friends for quite a significant amount of time you're living out of hotels you've just lost to France you've just lost to Italy you're sore you're tired you're thinking you've a I don't know 18 hour flight or whatever it is back to Australia like just to get home and stuff like that you're probably just just glancing do you know what I mean you're just glancing at the at the bus thinking just get home now kind of a thing like and, and regroup so it, it, I think it's I think that will play a part and if anyone says it won't I mean just think back to the last autumn nations Do you remember when Ireland played New Zealand um was it the second game we played New Zealand I think last year and or whatever it was but New Zealand you know they, they played that game against France as well which was an absolute thriller what a game that was and do, do you remember that one and it was Going into Mac ran from behind his try line and gave oh, the, the yes, back to yes. like what a game. But uh like New Zealand were tired and you, you can't say they weren't, you know, it's the end of their season. So I think if anybody says, you know, Australia, you know, they they won't be tired, etc. They're only human and they can rest as long as they want and stuff like that during the week. But you know, two losses and an autumn nations away from home facing now the best ranked team in the world. Like it's gonna be tough. It's tough, like, and it is, like, and you, and you can say, you no, know, like, and these professional players, they will fully back their own uh, ability. They'll have full belief in themselves and everything like that. But at the same time, there's an element of we need to be switched on for the full 80 minutes here. Like, it's not a case of, like, you know, we can drift in and out of the game. Against Ireland, you have to be switched on. It's as simple as, like, and that's very mentally taxing for the last international game of the season away from home for a month after losing to Italy, after losing to France. So I think that's another little kind of, I suppose, element it's, in the equation. Yeah, it's, it's going to take a huge group leadership to sort of to push that and make sure that they're fully focused on this and the desire is there to do it. But I think from what we're saying, that's two for Australia and Tom has given in his one that he's going Two for from, Ireland. Two for Ireland. I'm oh, sorry, sorry, two for Ireland. <laughs> two for Ireland. No, two okay, for Australia. Last, you're, yourself, last, yourself and Tom. <laughs> last, last week I was like, we'll move to Fiji, so... Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll uh, want to go two two for Ireland, and Tom is going to go for the Eating Trail Finders. Um, fool. He's never he's us. never going to catch the two of us. No, especially if he if he won't turn up for the pod. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, move on then to the uh, other game this week, which is Leinster against Chile, um, which is Friday afternoon in the RDS. I believe the game is going to be streamed on the Leinster YouTube channel for those of us who um, can get away with uh, pretending to work and watch it in the background. Um, and you know, now, how strong a Leinster team it's going to be, I think, is questionable. I think the little bit that I did hear on this was that there, there's potentially a lot of AIL players who are going to be called up for this. It's it's not um, going to be that, I suppose, uh recognizable a, a Leinster team you know for the for the casual rugby viewer may, may not uh, recognize too many of the names on it Chile uh, have qualified for the Rugby World Cup um, and you know it, it is a, a good opportunity for them to test themselves um, but I mean I do wonder about the value of the game overall yeah I think it's going to be a more testing game for Leinster than people are giving it credit for. Um, I know Chile wouldn't be 
a rugby stronghold. But like they're after, like 18 months ago, they never reached the second round of a Rugby World Cup qualifying. Like, so like now suddenly they're in a Rugby World Cup. They've beaten three of te- three, three of 20 teams, 2019. So like, I mean, it, what Lemoine's done has been massive for Chile, like absolutely massive. And you can, you can bet that they're using this as a, like they, they'll be a very strong team and they're going to use this as a, not just like a tour or something like that. And I think some people may have this in the back of their mind, like, oh, Chile are coming. Like, that'll be nice. Do you know that kind of way? Like we, we play a game and we'll swap ties and, you know, we'll, we'll have a drink at the bar afterwards. Like Chile are going to go for this. Like it's going to be a very interesting game. And if it wasn't on at two o'clock in the day, I would love to watch it, but like many others, I'll be in work. Um, I was actually asked to do comms on this game, and I said yes. And they were like, oh, brilliant. And then I was like, what time is the game? It's at 2 o'clock. I was like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm in work. <laughs> but, um, so that was a bit embarrassing. But um, I genuinely do think it's going to be a, a, a more of an interesting game than a lot of people are giving this credit for. Um, I don't know who's going to play 10 for Leinster. So if you're around Dublin and you have a pair of boots, you might get a game, uh, you know, for all he's injured. Is Harry Byrne injured, I think? Still, yeah, is he still injured? Still, um, I think Ross, so. Ross Byrne's above at Ireland at the moment. Sexton's above at Ireland at the moment. Um, so, you know, you might get a game. But I, I, I do think Chile will go for it. And uh, for it's, anyone around, um, it's, it's also just to say, and I'm not being paid by Leinster or anything to say this, but it's actually free entry into the game if you're around. So, like, if you're a college student who wants to skip a lecture, if you get off half day on a Friday or something like that, or if you're off or whatever, just hanging around, it's actually free entry into that game. I think it would be a really good game to go and see live. I like. I wonder whether you'd see someone like um, a ten. Is it? Oh, what's the guy? Um, his is it his brother or cousin? Is the cricketer, tractor, tector? Oh, you've lost me. Um and isn't um he's a young young uh he's either sub academy or academy um ten and is uh Keen Prendergast's um brother, isn't it? Is he he's potentially could play in that at an out half. Um I I, genu- I I genuinely don't know to be honest. You know, look the, the and um there's a few others there. Whether 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 you'd see the likes of I don't know Scott Penny getting a run out in this, or whether this will be considered sort of um maybe too too low key for him. I think as you said, it's a huge opportunity for Chile. Not so much in a tour. I think this is almost a training camp for them. That you you yeah. bring as as that sort of team. You bring them away. You set them up. You get this togetherness in terms of the the training time getting into a preparation doing a camp outside of the world cup that you can bring that team together get them ready to traveling being away from home and doing it in a, in a foreign country living out of hotels or whatever else you get them into that routine from that point of view it's brilliant i'm not sure i see the the benefit for leinster i don't know too at, much. at the same time there's no urc games so it's a good opportunity to keep players ticking over like i mean Training's great and stuff, but everyone looks great running through stuff at training. Like it's only when you get punched in the face that you kind of have to reassess and reorganize and go again. So like 
I, I think it's a really good opportunity for Leinster as well, just to, like, they're against an international side. I don't think they're going to see this in any way, shape or form as, like, uh, just something to fill time on a Friday. Like, I think they'll have properly built towards it during the week. I wouldn't be surprised to see some names, like Scott Penny or so. I don't know who's obviously named for it, like, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some some names either for it like that. But I, I certainly think it's a really good opportunity for them just to, t- to to keep ticking over as well when there's no URC games or anything like that or A games or anything like that for Leinster. So I, 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 I genuinely think it'd be a great game. And like if I was around Dublin at two o'clock and didn't have work, 100% I'd love to go and watch it. Then moving on to some other news from the provinces, Andy Friend has confirmed he'll be leaving uh, Connacht at the end of the season. Uh, I think this is something that had maybe been sort of foreseen by some people anyway. Um, as part of that, I think the fact Pete Wilkins had been brought on the summer tour to New Zealand was it was an indicator of that. It'll be interesting to see what Connacht do in terms of replacing Friend, whether it's Pete Wilkins stepping up into that sort of head coach role that he currently has and they leave it with that and bring in maybe another assistant to, to help him out or whether they, they're going to put in another director of rugby above Andy Friend um, on a on the basis of Friend's work I think you know he ha- there's an awful lot of positives that he um, has brought to Connacht I think there's an awful uh, there's a huge basis and foundation that he has left that squad and the the, the province in um, that will bear fruit in the coming years. I think, you know, where they are now is in a, they have a very strong foundation to build from. They have a, a huge amount of young, talented players coming through and it's about whether they, those players can reach their potential um, in that I think they, their start to the season so far this this year has been excellent. They've, they've had, we've talked about it so much here in, in terms of the 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 sort of the um how hard the fixture list has been for them at the start of the season and if they can continue this momentum through um you know they, they could be in a, a very positive place um as Andy Friend leaves at the at the end of the season um as you tweeted out uh, earlier on is that the second coach that uh, Pisam have uh, chased out of position yeah, I didn't tweet that somebody else <laughs> tweeted that and uh, I have nothing to do with with any uh, provincial coaches beef, I'd like to point that out again. Sign the um, contract, Dan. You can you can send all complaints to info at three redkings dot com. It has nothing to do with me and Owen. Well, maybe a little bit with Owen. It's certainly nothing yeah. to do with me. That's it. Um, the other news then was uh, Ulster confirmed Stephen Kitsoff as, uh, or sorry, will join the club next season, which is an absolute huge signing for them. Massive signing. Is it three years? Is it three, three years? Year like, what a signing. Like, what a signing. And we won't get into the, the cost side of it, I suppose, but was it Rugby South Africa and that magazine? or I, I don't know the name. It was but... New, News, News 24, I think, said that um, the Stormers were willing to give him nine, was it something around, the best they could go to was an around 9 million rand and Ulster topped that by over 50%. Yeah. Like it's a no brainer for him. Like, of course you're going to go. Of That's course it. Look, you're it's going to go. And not only that, security. like security, yeah. it's security, but like, but it's, it's something we talked about last year in regards Ulster signings and 
the the re-signings and stuff like that. It's the business they're doing on and off the pitch that attracts players like this. And like I think we said that last year. If you're a player and Ulster approach you saying we want you, you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to move to to Ireland to play for Ulster. You're looking at Ulster and you're saying, well, Jesus, they're challenging domestic. They're challenging European. They have the likes of Dwayne Remulin there. Like they're, they're, this is the kind of player they're attracting. They're, they're on the verge of doing something very, very special here and keeping an off and literally keeping all the players. Like I, like I have, I don't, I don't think. Like, can you name a player who's leaving Ulster? Like, I and maybe this is something I think Kisoff is a huge, huge signing for him, and is a key part to the Ulster pack, particularly that they need to build on. But I think it'll be how they build around the players that are leaving. So for me, that'll be Rory Sutherland, it'll be Jeff Tanuga Allen, and it'll be Dwayne Vermeulen. They'll all be leaving at the end of the season. And in some ways, that will go to explain the high wages or whatever that have been. And these are reported numbers. not taking them as gospel for any um, second. That will go a long way towards it. But how do you replace Dwayne Vermeulen in the back row? Yeah. You know, um, and there's maybe a lot of pressure going to come on the likes of David McCann and, and those guys to step up and fill that void for them. They need us. They now need a big starting eight. You know, do you move Timoney? Do you bring someone else in? How do you how do you fill that? And then it's it's also the depth chart underneath Kitov. You know, um, with the and again, I don't mean this disrespect, but Eric O'Sullivan and the other loose head options that Ulster have. Eric O'Sullivan hasn't reached the height where he got his Ireland caps and his Ireland call ups to squads and things like that. He hasn't quite reached that since. Um, and they don't seem to have many um, props coming through. They have Tom O'Toole and Marty Moore on the tight end side, um, and hopefully Marty Moore is over those sort of concussion issues that allowed sort of, um, to Allen to to be brought in. But I think on the loose head side, they they have that problem. You you need kits off firing and fully fit for for the entire season to allow that, and the back row with Dwayne Vermeule in there. Um, but again, brilliant bit of business by Ulster. Ah, yeah, and again, like like it was with Vermeulen. Next season again, so like Kitchoffs arrives, let's say he starts playing September, next September, and whatever it is, like, or after the World Cup, whatever it may be. I don't know when he's arriving exactly, but if at the end of next season, your Ulster approaching another player. Oh, sorry, you you have Stephen Kitchoff playing for you, and like. You know, there's a chance he could be a two-time World Cup winner by the time he moves to Ulster. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, sorry, so you're you're competing domestically and in Europe, and you've the likes of Stephen Kitchoff playing with you, and you had Dwayne Vermeulen signed there for a couple of years, and you clearly take play take care of your players because you've the likes of Doak on a, on a four-year contract, and you're clearly building towards something that you want me to be a part of. Like, unbelievable. Like, it's unbelievable business. What, what I like about Ulster, and they have done this consistently in terms of their signings, re-signings, contracting, the whole lot. They have done it early, they have done it quickly, and they have got the news out there. There is no there is no messing on it. There is no sort of... Um, there's no holding it back, looking for the right time to release it or whatever else. It's done. It's put out there. Um, and it 
it allows them, as you said there, it allows them to plan and work towards that. It, the fans know what's coming. It, it, it may help with other contracting, etc. But they have always been very upfront, very proactive in getting that. Um, and, and, it, and it just like, it literally helps their image for attracting players so well. Because like, you know yourself, if I sign with Ulster, there's no, like you said there, there's no messing around. Done, deal done. You've announced it. I'm coming to a very attractive club with very attractive players. And I'm going to, I know that there's like a plan in place that you're building towards something special. Like, I don't know. I think over the last couple of years, Ulster have just been almost, the last maybe two seasons, Ulster have been pretty much perfect when it comes to on and off the field dealings kind of a thing. Yeah, and look, a lot of credit goes to Dan McFarlane and uh, I think it's John Petrie, isn't it, up there Yeah, in, in Ulster. So Dan, we'll Dan, run. big fan of the pod. <laughs> sign the contract, sign the contract. Dan. Dan, Dan the fan, he calls himself. We'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting podcasts. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen, and it really helps. And also be sure to share the podcast on social media. Hope you have a good weekend, and at least two of the three of us will be back next weekend. Oh, 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 oh,